Welcome to Skip the Queue, a podcast for people working in or working with visitor attractions. I'm your host, Kelly Molson. Each episode, I speak with industry experts from the attractions world. In today's episode, I speak with Matt Skaysbrook, founder of We Teach CRO. We explain exactly what conversion rate optimization is and why it's so very important for your attractions website. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and all the usual channels by searching Skip the Queue. Matt, it's so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining me. We start off with our little icebreaker question. So I want to know, what are your hobbies outside of work? <laughs> not not as many as I had uh, when, back when I was a salaried employee. Uh, rugby is the main one. You play? Yes, yeah, I still, I still play. Uh, there will come a point where physically I can't do it anymore but I haven't reached that point yet so my wife is reconciled to the fact that I will continue to play until such time as uh, as such time as I can't until there is a broken bone that you decide is taking too long to heal and that's it <laughs> uh, yeah I mean you can come back from broken bones uh it's it's more of a is it that I physically can't get out of bed on a Sunday morning um I've noticed post post 30 it does like the recovery speed is definitely not what it used to be mate wait until you're post 40 and then you'll really <laughs> <do it. laughs> all right what's your favorite all-time movie oh that's a difficult one i'll probably go gladiator oh good choice good choice there's a there's a lot that are in that like at that level but yeah probably gladiator i've seen it god knows how many times maybe 25 30 I bet you know the words as well I bet you I know like, quite a lot it. of them yeah, yeah. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I always have to watch it on my own if I'm going to watch it because otherwise I annoy everyone else in the room because <laughs> I do know what's coming <laughs> all right if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life what would it be probably uh, it's really sad it's a tough choice yeah I'd probably just have burger and chips like it's um, well I when I say chips sweet potato fries it's quite specific yeah. Yeah, it's quite specific. And there would have to be cheese and bacon in the burger with a bit of barbecue sauce. Okay. I don't think it would be good for me to eat that every day in my life. But, <laughs> yeah. Well, that'd, that'd end your rugby career. Yeah, soon. pretty rapidly, I would imagine, yeah. <laughs> All right. And what is your unpopular opinion? Oh, God, I've got loads of, I've got thousands of unpopular I opinions. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll use one from, from agency world. So from my experience, and I, I coach a number of other agency owners as well. And what I have found is that the principal problem in most agencies is the person who runs it. Oh, well, I have to agree with that. <laughs> being, being an agency owner who runs an agency owner, yeah. I definitely say yes. Tick. 95% probably of the problems, the things that we're dealing with in our businesses, we caused uh, either consciously or unconsciously. Um, but yes, unfortunately, generally speaking, we are the problem. Yeah, I mean, there will be other agency owners listening to this, and I'm pretty sure they'll agree with you. So I'm not sure how unpopular that opinion is going to be. But thank you. Uh, well, I've, I've told people it in the past and been greeted with, oh, well, you know, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm doing my best. Well, I was like, I'm not having a go. I'm just stating a fact. You know, like, that's we're, just we're all doing our, our best, but it's still us. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, um, before Christmas, the lovely team at Callaway, who we've had on as a, a guest previously, invited me to present a webinar. And the webinar was titled, Why Your Website Isn't Selling Enough Tickets and How to Fix It. Um, and I will pop the link to this in the show notes if um, you haven't been able to uh, catch up on that recording, and then you can watch it for yourselves. But the main focus of the webinar was around cart abandonment um, and kind of why it happens and what can be done to avoid it. And I touched on a process that we use internally called conversion rate optimization or CRO for short. 
And I thought it'd be really great to have a dedicated CRO expert on the show to discuss this in a bit more depth, because although it's a process that we use, it's not what we specialize in as an agency. And this is what Matt's agency, we teach CRO, specializes in. That's what you do, isn't it? It's the only thing we do, yeah. So Matt's a great person to come on and talk to us about it. And the relevancy of this to the attraction sector is uh, there's lots of things that you can do to improve your booking process. And CRO is a process that we would use to go through and make those improvements. So they're, they're kind of some of the things that we want to talk about today. But Matt, big question, what is CRO? What is conversion rate optimization? Yeah, so one of the things that just about everyone in in the CRO industry agrees is that CRO is a terrible description uh, of what it actually is. Um, obviously, the the words conversion rate optimization suggests that it is that it's all about that. How do you get uh, the most uh, number of people through that process? Um, for the vast majority of businesses, the, there is a balance that needs to be struck there between effectively the revenue that's generated through that process and the number of people who do it. So it's always a balance between, you know, what the conversion rate is of a process and, uh, you know, the average order value or average booking value, you know, are people adding extras, you know, queue jumps, et cetera, into that. We always liken it to, to a bell curve, I guess. At one end, you've got absolute total conversion rate, 100%. The only way you will ever achieve that is if you gave everything away for free. Uh, and even then, you'd probably have some people who are suspicious of it. But yeah, if you assume at one end, you'd have to give everything away free to have a perfect conversion rate. That makes you no money whatsoever. At the complete opposite end of that bell curve, there is uh, absolute perfect uh, order value or booking value. That is obviously an infinite number and therefore impossible. What you're trying to get to is the point in that bell curve in the middle where you've got a balance between uh, uh, the number of visitors coming through and booking and the, the average value uh, of that booking. So you're just trying to kind of move that move that needle left and right um, to get the right balance between the two. So talk us through a little bit about what you do at your agency then, what you do for your clients. I guess where you start always has to be about the people that you're trying to influence. I think one, one of the most common mistakes in, in our industry is that people spend too much time looking at numbers and go, oh, we need to move that rate or we need to move this rate. It's like, no, you don't. What you need to do is change how people act uh, and what uh, what decisions that they will make. So the sooner you start thinking about those people, their concerns, um, especially, you know, the objections that they're going to have to following something through, the sooner you can do that, the more effective any of your optimizations will be. For us, the vast majority of those optimizations are done uh, in the form of a, of a test, um, usually usually an A-B test, so where you have the current version of the page tested against a new version uh, of the page. If you've ever done any sort of user testing with uh, new elements for the site, similar principle, the difference being that, number one, these people don't know they're being tested against. Number two is scale. Um, obviously, user testing is hugely valuable, but the uh, the total number of people you can talk to is limited because per person it's expensive. Um, so if you can run that on site, you can do it at a much greater scale. And the last part is that rather than someone in user testing who's usually being paid for their opinion, visitors that you're you're testing in this way, they're voting with their own money. You know, I have seen too many times over the years user testing that presents a certain picture. 
and says, oh, okay, this, this, is, this is what our visitors want. When you put it at a grander scale where people don't know that they're being tested against, they do something different. So it's, uh, it's getting a balance between those, uh, between those two things. User testing is brilliant for a depth of insight. But if you want to look at can that be applied more broadly, running something at scale uh, on the site itself is a great way to, to work that out. So I'm going to get you in a minute to talk through a case study that you've worked on for um, for Nando's, which I think is really, although it's 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 a hospitality food and food and drink, it's really relevant to what we talk about a lot from the attraction sector. So some of the things that we at Rubber Cheese talk about all the time is can visitors find what they're looking for? So essentially, like what we're trying to do is funnel users through the right places on a website. So can they find what they're looking for? So Essentially, if, if, you're, you're, if you're an attraction, your number one objective is to sell tickets. So can they actually find the area to sell the tickets? You know, is that simple enough to, to see? Can they follow a simple journey from entering your site to actually purchasing the ticket? Do they understand what the next step is to take? Are you confusing them with multiple calls to action? So all of these questions are what we're asking our, our users, the whole, you know, over and over and over again. Can they find their opening times, the prices, how to book? you know, is your booking system integrated? Does it pop them off somewhere else, which is again, causing them a distraction or, and the process that you've been through for the Nando's case study is very, very similar to the things that we talk about. So I wondered if you could kind of talk us through what you did for them and the improvements that you made and how that kind of affected that booking journey. Uh, So we've worked with Nando's for uh, almost three and a half years now. When we first started working with them, they didn't have an online ordering process at all. And we came on board because they knew, you know, they were working towards that launch. Um, and we came on board so that once it was live, um, they would have a means of, of constant improvement uh, and iteration to it. Um, and there's been a huge number of changes, uh, obviously, in that, in that industry over the, course of the, over the course of the last few years. And online ordering has become, you know, it's no longer like the poor cousin, uh, I guess, to, to bricks and mortar. So with Nando's, uh, this is one that did start with some user testing that they did. They sat down with a group of users and found that the order process, particularly on mobile, was <laughs> the word cumbersome came up uh, quite <laughs> quite frequently. And it, it's not it, it wasn't something you know that the guys at Nando's didn't know. Uh, they knew they knew that bit already. But it's one of those challenges of getting what is effectively a large offline menu, which is you know uh, I guess A3 folded out double-sided a3 you've then got to get that on a on a screen uh you know that's seven or eight inches it's a challenge in itself yeah what what that user uh that user research kind of flagged up was that it was just moving through the different uh sections of that menu you constantly had to go backwards and forwards um so if you clicked into if you clicked into you know peri peri chicken for example you couldn't then immediately jump to say uh burgers pitters and wraps this is where you realize how sad i am how much the nando's menu i know <laughs> um but we, we won't talk about that uh but yes yeah, so it's constant back and forward as as you mentioned a moment ago about a process that can be followed virtually no one wants to go back and forward no. uh, people do not like going backwards uh, or do not like feeling like they're like they're going backwards so we knew that the current navigation and the, the menu uh, sort of selection was not as good as it could be. The bigger question was how did how do we improve it? Because it is, to some extent, like I said, a menu of that size being dealt with on a screen that small, it is going to be 
reasonably cumbersome uh, to some extent, uh, but there, there had to, we, we were adamant that there had to be a better way of doing this. So <laughs> the first time, the first time around, the first test that we ran on this, um, rather than making a visit jump backwards and forwards, we we put a menu across the top uh, of the screen, which was scrollable. So uh, instead of scrolling up and down, you could scroll left and right across this uh, across this menu. There were a couple of challenges with that. Firstly, the width of the of the element that you would have to tap on to get there was dictated by uh, the length of the title of that section of the menu. So it is inherently in, inconsistent with itself. You know, it's not particularly visually appealing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it isn't something that's all that commonly used. And what we found, uh, having run that as a test, is that more people use the navigation in that format, in that, that side scroll. The problem was that fewer people actually went on to buy. So as with a lot of tests, there, there are two sort of core things that, that most, most clients are trying to get out of it. The first one is, uh, I guess, uh, some sort of commercial benefit. But the other one, uh, which should be viewed at least, uh, at least as important, if not more important, is why. You know, why have we got the results that we have? So what we found from, from this one, as I said, more people would use the menu uh, now than they did before as their means of, of navigating through, but they actually viewed fewer sections of the menu in total. <laughs> so that tells us two things. One, from a data perspective, they absolutely must have been clicking on the same things multiple times. Mm-hmm. So again, that, that behavior that we were trying to avoid with people having to go backwards and forwards, we hadn't solved it at all. And the reason that that impacted on revenue was that what we found is that visitors did a fair amount of impulse purchasing. So if you led them through a process, they would be like, do I want, they, they wouldn't consider an item until they saw it. And then they saw it and like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to get some ice cream. Why not? Um, you know, I guess similar, uh, similar in a booking journey. If somebody doesn't know that, you know, that you could buy a, a season pass for 50% more than the, the one day ticket. Well, they aren't going to buy it, are they? Because they don't know that they don't exactly. know they exist. They're not against the idea. They just didn't realize the idea was even an option. So yeah, so it, it seems odd to use a case study where a test that we uh, that we ran that results in in uh, effectively a, a negative outcome. But what you will find if you run tests frequently is that is often the case. If we if we knew all of the answers, we just make changes. You know, I, I wouldn't run I wouldn't run a business that that prides itself on on testing. Um, yeah, I'd also be a billionaire by now if I was always right uh, <laughs> about stuff. So the key thing is, what do you do when the test doesn't win? And that's where the learning element comes in, because, you know, saying, yes, this is this is better because, you know, it makes more money is great when it wins. When it doesn't, you know, you, you need to understand why so that you can look at, OK, well, what do what do we do next? So. We sat down with this one and we and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, myself, the, the team here, uh, the client as well, we all thought this would win and it didn't. So we sat down to understand, OK, well, why do we think that is? Effectively, what we came to is that we're over engineering this entirely. One of the problems with the existing menu is that it was not the way that most other menus work. So we invented another menu that was different to the way that most menus work. Uh, you know, it was technically more complicated, but it wasn't easier to use. So the next iteration of that test introduced a, a effectively a burger menu. You know, you just tapped on it and it opened with all of the elements that you need. So for anyone listening that doesn't understand why we're talking about burgers, 
a burger menu is it's a little icon that's used on websites or apps. Um, and when you click it, it opens like the navigation or like a little side menu. It just it kind of looks like a burger. So we call it a burger menu. Yeah. And is it as visually appealing uh, as the as the side scroll? No. Uh, and there were some members of the of the the wider organization at Nando's who weren't entirely happy with it visually. And understandably, it is, it's a bit dull. Uh, and Nando's as a brand is anything but dull. But they allowed us they allowed us to test it. Um, so yeah, instead of this big side scroll, we just had you know just had a burger menu, three lines, the word menu, and there you could go. So we ran that, and navigation usage increased again. Uh, but this time, the conversion and the revenue uplift came with it too. And I think there therein lies, I guess, the value. Uh, of testing is that as good an idea as you think you've got there is at least a 50 percent chance you're wrong but it'll make a positive improvement whenever you make those changes without testing them you are effectively assuming the risk there for yourself straight away you know if it if it tanks and it might how are you going to back it out how quickly can you back it out you know if you're running a test i'll tell you how quick it is to stop uh, about five seconds <laughs> you open you open whatever platform you're under tested and you hit stop and that is i guess the the side of, of cro that people don't necessarily um and it doesn't necessarily come to mind first and foremost they think of it as a way of helping their site to make more money the bit they overlook is its ability to help them manage risk and the bigger a business is the more you have to lose if you get things wrong um there is a there is a phrase that i've used repeatedly over the last uh, almost two years, I think, after coining it, in it, it was in in the middle of a, uh, a webinar that I was doing, and it's uh, it was DabDap, which is design and build, deploy and pray, um, <laughs> because that that is for the vast majority of changes to a website, that is how it's done. There is a design phase, there is a build phase, it goes live, and everyone crosses their fingers and hopes it works. Mm. Um, you know that introduces a certain level of risk. I mean, Matt, I'm not going to agree with you there. There's thorough <laughs> testing that goes through on our part before we launch. But no, I, I hear what you're saying. So, yeah. you know, we, you know, all the will in the world. We can do all the testing internally. We can do all the testing externally. But essentially, when you release something to the world and you have thousands of people using it, problems are going to come up that you just haven't been able to come across throughout that testing process. Yeah. It's really interesting what you were saying about, um, you know, the solution that looked beautiful but didn't work that well and I think that's something that we are always really acutely aware of when we were designing things because let's face it everybody wants their site to look great we work with attractions you know the sites have to encompass the feeling that you're going to get at that attraction before you've you've got there you know we always say the fun starts from the first click and you know, they have to have give the perception of what it's going to be like. If your attraction is really exciting, your website has to be really exciting. And sometimes attraction websites can look really fun, but work really badly. Um, so, you know, that's something that we are really aware of all the time when we're designing is that you have to go sometimes from like a desktop solution that does look really beautiful down to how does that translate to mobile? You know, how is that actually going to work at, you know, like you say, like six or seven inches um, screen width? Can we still make it functional and beautiful 
or is are we going to have to make some compromises there and testing is the only way to know whether you've got that right or not yeah i think one one of the things that comes up a lot with that is basically common ui elements like i have seen so many sites over the years that have gone do you know what we're not going to make a button a button because you know we want to be edgy and it's like yeah but people understand buttons um, you know they are drawn to they are drawn to them because they understand that it is usually a step a step forwards. You know, same was uh, the example of the the burger menu for Fernando's is that it it isn't flash and you're not going to win any design awards for it, but you will sell more stuff. Therefore, we can iterate from there on and go, okay, is there a way that we can make that same function but in a prettier uh, and more visually appealing way? But if over all that time you're benefiting from the extra conversion value of something that just works that people understand, you know, you're effectively you're effectively then uh, helping to pay for the extra iterations that you want to do again in future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Matt, I am going to try and pronounce some words here that I always get um, a bit tongue tied with. So forgive me. But quantitative and qualitative. Did I get that right? You did. Yeah. I have to to say them the exact same way you do. Very slowly, syllable by syllable. (laughs) I'm glad this is being recorded for prosperity. (laughs) Um, So look, I know that when you're going through your processes, you're you're looking at both of those options. Explain what the difference is and why they're both equally important. Yeah. So quantitative, um, that is that is numbers based stuff. So for the vast majority of sites that comes through Google Analytics. That is, that is what most people use. What it is presenting to you is effectively a count, a count of you know, X number of people did this, these things or X number of sessions or this action uh, take place. But that's all it is. It's just numbers. And obviously, it's always, it's always backward looking as well. It's what they did do. Uh, it isn't what they're going to do. On the qualitative side, this is basically data that isn't just <laughs> that isn't just numbers and it comes in a lot of different forms so heat maps uh so for where people click where their mouse is how long certain uh, elements of the screen are in view uh, on a particular page how far down a page they scroll that's one element of it session recordings you know where you can watch uh you can watch how a visitor uh, interacted uh with a particular site or particular page and then you've got the other uh, I guess the the complete opposite end from the numbers where you've got feedback, so verbatim feedback from surveys that run on-site, off-site, your user research uh, as well comes into that. So th- there's a lot of things that qualitative covers um, and the best description of it is it isn't just numbers. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, description. Description is, it's, it's description is it's not the other one, uh, basically. Um, why does it matter? So... If you're looking to identify areas of improvement, it is easiest to do that from a numerical base. Comparing numbers is a lot faster than comparing, you know, 100 survey responses. Mm. Uh, You know, numbers are simpler to do that with. The problem with them is that they only really tell you what occurred. They give you a very limited view on why. And if you're going to solve some of those challenges that you've got, it is the why that will help you to solve them. And that's where the qualitative side comes in. So my recommendation on this stuff is that use your, your quantitative, use your numbers to identify those areas. Then once those areas have been identified, then go to your, your qualitative tools and investigate those more closely. 
if you go into you know if you go into Hotjar uh, as an example as a as a qualitative tool, if you go into that searching for problems to identify, you will lose days, weeks, months mm-hmm. of your life because it is not designed to do that at scale. It is great if you have a specific question or set of questions that you're trying to ask. It is not really is not really there for um, call it high volume discovery. So yeah, one is good for telling you what happened and identifying areas where improvements could be made. The other one is a lot better at understanding, okay, well, why aren't people getting from point A to uh, to point B? And therefore is a key part in forming, okay, well, how are we going to execute that page or that process yeah. differently in order to, uh, you know, in order to, to see a change in the quantitative? Yeah, so to be to be able to make, real improvements you have to take a holistic approach you can't just rely on one or the other um and obviously there's nothing better than getting people in a room and actually watching what they're doing as well while they're using the site too hmm this might be a difficult question to ask because it's i'm sure there are different answers to this question depending on when you ask them but what what do you think are kind of some of the most important metrics that attractions should be tracking yeah so what you tend to find is that if you ask if you ask someone about their key metrics, they'll tell you what their conversion rate is globally across the site, and they will tell you what their average booking value is. Those are great as, you know, like a report to the board, <laughs> but they're borderline useless in helping you to advance the site yourself. You know, I have worked with clients who have a conversion rate of 0.5% who are very happy with it. And I've worked with some who've got a, a conversion rate of 8 or 9%. And are disappointed. There is not a rate that is good or a rate that is bad. Also, there there are so many different types of people, different types of visit in those global metrics that they're they're, they're basically a mess. That you're not going to get you're not going to get actionable stuff out of going. Well, our site conversion rate is three percent. So, whenever we look at a site, um, and this applies for uh, to e-commerce, um, the same that it applies to you know, to attractions uh, or to ordering of food is that you break you break the site down into effectively three blocks. So out of every visitor who comes to the site, how many of them bounce? Uh, so how many of them see one page and, and nothing else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are two types of bounce, but basically there's hard bounce and soft. Hard is hits page, does nothing and leaves. Soft is comes to page, reads, you know, 50%, 75%, of that page and then leaves by default they'll track the same uh, unless you do some some additions but obviously that experience is entirely different hence why you want to know the difference but yeah so first one is is bounce rate if that is super high you're losing your opportunity right there and then to ever sell to those people you know landing page job number one keep uh, keep people on site so if you've got a rate there that is particularly high that's probably the first place you're going to look you know how do we a lot of the time it's what's happening off-site you know how are you linking people to that site you know is it advertising that you're doing if so the two need to marry up you know Mm -hmm. what someone's being advertised and what is on the landing page but yeah so it's bounce rate is the first one then we look at of everyone who does not bounce what percentage then add to basket um, and again, that that applies the same way, regardless of whether you're talking about physical items uh, or digital items, yeah. um, or uh, or even the ordering of, of food is how many people actually add something. 
uh, into the basket. Um, the reason for that is, is it basically, is it the process before the checkout that is part of your challenge uh, or not? Uh, how are you explaining effectively the product value? And at least to uh, enough that somebody is confident to make one of the first decisions they need to make, which is, yes, that's the one I'm interested in. So yeah, non-bouncing people to add to basket. That's the next rate uh, that we look at. And then it's of everyone who adds to basket, what percentage then go on to buy. So that obviously is looking at how your, uh, how your checkout process works yeah. out. So we split those three up, identify which of those we believe to be the, the biggest challenge. And then you want to take whatever, whichever one you've picked and split that down again. So I'll, I'll give you an example from, from one we did recently, uh, e-commerce client, their belief was that their checkout process was too long. And that was what was negatively impacting their conversion rate. And now, okay, their, their checkout process was quite long. Uh, I think it was seven steps, which is probably a little excessive. Mm-hmm. But what we found once we broke that process down is that actually they lost over 50% of people in the first step to the second. The rest wow. from there on, it was pretty good. <laughs> um, it was actually really good. Uh, and this is the, the checkout process, the first yeah. step of, oh, right, okay. Yeah. So from the basket page itself to uh, the next step was a, was a login step. They lost most people in that block. Was that because they made people log in? No, it was, it was, the problem was people weren't even getting to that login step at all. So that tells you a lot. Uh, What we then did, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we then went to look at the the qualitative stuff. What are people on that page doing? Mm -hmm. And what we found was that you saw video after video after video of people going back to the main site from the basket page and looking at either alternatives for the product that was in their basket or at the product that was in their basket to read more information about it. It's like, okay, these people have zero confidence in what they've put in that basket. Yeah. They thought, oh, I'm going to add it. But then when it came to the next point of, yeah, okay, I'm going to put, you know, I'm, I'm going to move through this process. They weren't sure. It's like, okay, how do we reassure people that, you know, this brand is one that they can trust, that this process is one that they can trust? You know, what other things are they going to be thinking about? You know, when am I, when am I going to get it? What if I don't like it? You know, all of those objections that you need to handle. I think you mentioned earlier, Kelly, about, um, you know, have people got all the information they need? And it's like, we all, we all buy stuff online. We all book events and attractions and the such like online. So what questions do we ask ourselves? Mm. You know, what if I, what if I can't go that day? What if I want to move my ticket to another day? Cause it's hammering it down with rain. I don't want to get wet. All of the things that you would ask, that's what thousands of other people are asking you know, and you need to, I guess, need to think about when are those going to, questions going to get raised? You know, the basket step is is quite a common one because it's the move from the brain has moved on from product selection and it's now on to on, on the uh, effectively the buying, uh, the buying element of it. So the kind of questions that you need to ask are then different. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Oh, it was a really long explanation. Wasn't yeah, it? but it was but... a really perfect explanation of why it's so important to do the qualitative and the quantitative testing is a really very clear example, because obviously that client had, a, had made a, a massive assumption about what they thought the problem was. But actually, without doing those two testing processes, they didn't you would never have found the actual no. correct answer as well. Love that. It's such a good example. Thank you. Um, OK, so being a CRO. You need a lot of different skills, don't you? So like, <laughs> I, I'm guessing that in your team, you've got 
you've got strategists, you've got data people, you've got designers as well. What what skills do you need to be a CROer? Yeah, uh, so we we actually have a model for this, which uh, probably tells you how sad I am. But uh, yeah, we we have a model called Casper. So it's split into two halves, CAT and SPA. So CAT is skill areas that you have to have. So it's creative, analytical, technical. I guess every every single person who does this work is better at one of those three than the others, and they're weaker at one of those three than the others. So for me, analytically, analytical is my strength, um, always has been. My technical skills are pretty good. Years of practice, didn't have them when I started doing this work. I'm not particularly good with pictures, though. Uh, I'm. I am not a classic. Creative That's where I come person. in. Yeah. I'm. I'm the designer to your analytical yeah, skills. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> there are other members of my team who are creatively very, very good. Um, you know, technically strong, analytical, not not as good. We all have those strengths and weaknesses, but the the role sits so perfectly on that uh, mm. on the cusp of those three that you you can't be useless at any of them. <laughs> uh, I guess. And then the, the spa, the spa element of it, um, that is, we call those the, the sub roles uh, of the job. So you, you're effectively a subject matter expert, but for a client, you are also their project manager uh, and to some extent their, their account manager as well. Um, our work is very collaborative. Uh, we speak to most clients most days uh, in some form. Uh, or other be it on calls or slack or emails whatever it is um so yeah there is a it isn't an easy thing to get into you have to want to practice all of those things and so you know when when we take on someone new um you know the time to get in them up to speed is 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 pretty long but if you can master things that are creative analytical and technical and talk to people for whom those things are specialisms you know can you converse with developers can you converse with analysts can you converse with designers if you can do that pretty much any job that they you know that our guys may go into in future they'll be good at it mm. um, because yeah. they can speak the language of three different people and that makes a massive difference oh god doesn't it <laughs> so can considering that to have the skills to do this well it's quite rare to be pretty good at all of those things I would say yeah. so you know that's that's quite a hard person you, you need to fit fit someone to quite a difficult mold can our listeners start to do this process themselves because I guess you know our listeners vary from you know huge attractions thousands and thousands of people through the day to down to you know come some quite small museums who might have a very strict back team but still need to be able to to look and analyze their site and understand how it's working can people do this can they do this themselves they can one of the things that you have to uh you have to believe in if you do this work is that whatever you're doing today is not as good as it could be and that goes for ourselves as well you know what i know about my industry now versus when i started my agency five years ago is massive the only way to improve is to accept that today's you is not the best version that it could be and the only way that, that will only way that those improvements will happen is if you try things um you know that is the, that is at the very core of testing is accepting that you know that improvement is out there but you'll make some clangers uh, along the way um, before you get there we actually wrote uh, a few months back we published a guide which is a, for that exact purpose <laughs> which is okay you can do this yourself 
here are some of, uh, I, th- I can't remember how many questions are in it now. I think it's like 51. It's basically 50 odd questions that every experienced CRO person has asked at some point, you know, because what, what I know about the industry and its practice, I, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't read a book. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I spoke to a lot of other people who gave me their time and their input to answer <laughs> at the time what probably seemed like quite dumb questions. Um, but that you know that's we're we're all we're all built on the on the back of other people's uh, selfless efforts, um, I guess. Uh, so yeah, they they absolutely can do it themselves. There are there are free tools available um, to help you start running tests. What I would recommend is that you do do some reading about it. Um, I can give you the the link to our guide uh afterwards kelly and i already have it Matt. oh have you already, already got, got it, it. Oh, okay there we go show notes oh yeah you've you've actually downloaded, downloaded it, haven't you? it. Yeah. so yeah it's called 52 questions every experienced cro once had to ask because we all started where you are now yeah. it's a brilliant book actually right. i've learned a lot from it and um we are going to pop yeah we'll pop the link to this book in the show notes so if you are thinking of looking at this process this is a really really great place to start Laura, our marketeer will shoot me for not uh, for not remembering the name. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Matt. This is what I'm here for. I prepared. <laughs> no, it is. It is. Um, I, I do highly recommend it. So I've learned so much from having a look through this booklet. And um, like Matt says, it's a really great place to start. And in it, you do actually recommend some of the best tools to use, which are free or some that will then start to incur costs as well. Brilliant. Matt, thank you. I have really enjoyed having you on to chat today. Um, We always ask our guests to recommend a book for us, something that they've loved, something that's influenced them, their career, can be absolutely anything. What have you prepared for us? Uh, Mine's boringly professional, I'm afraid. Um, Mine mine is uh, a very small book, actually, called Built to Sell by John Warrilow. It is uh, about a fictional agency that the owner decides he wants to sell uh, and he goes to, to someone who's built and sold multiple businesses who advises him on how to move his business to a point where it is uh, where it is sellable um, but even if even if that's not the thing that you're interested in what the book really focuses on is how do you make sure that you're not the problem uh, in your business so to my unpopular opinion earlier <laughs> reading that I can't remember how long it is it's like 100 120 pages maybe like you, you literally can read it in a few hours but the first time that I read that book I was just like you looking at all the things he says points out you know make sure you don't do this make sure you don't do this and you're sat there thinking yeah I'm Ooh. doing that <laughs> just like <laughs> how many how, there's like there's like 15 or 16 like lessons that you should learn from it and I just remember looking at it thinking I'm literally doing pretty much all of those uh and it's just a, one of those proper sort of light bulb moments where you realize that you didn't have to learn all this stuff yourself through painful experience. You know, I had a fair amount of painful experience by that point anyway, but it's like other people have been here before, you know, you're not unique as it were, you know, other people have been through this experience. You'd learn from them uh, and they will help you. Yeah. Great book. Um, Listen, as ever, if you want to win a copy of Matt's book, then head over to our Twitter account and retweet this uh, episode announcement with the words, I want Matt's book. I might get there first um, because I feel like this is a bit for me. <laughs> I've had is, 19 yeah. years of making mistakes. It's Matt, really good. So, uh, really, I'm really pretty good. sure that that paints a, a good picture of me in that book. 
but <laughs> we're all here. We're all doing our best. Um, Matt, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Thank you. What um, if any of our audience wants to get in touch with you to um, talk through CRO, ask a few more questions? Where's the best place they can get hold of you? So on uh, on our website, uh, there is a there is a page where you can basically book in directly with me just to have a conversation. Those things have been from some people want to talk about, you know, formally working together. Other people just want to have a chat about what they're currently doing. Um, I keep my I keep my sort of diary open on that because I have so many good conversations with people. And, you know, if I if I can help someone out, even if they're not someone who who's ever going to work with us, I feel good about it. Uh, at the end of the day um so yeah i'll share the uh, i'll share the link with you matt thank you that's lovely i think that's a brilliant way to end the podcast thank you very much for coming on and for your generous offer of, of helping out our audience uh, thanks kelly thanks for listening to skip the queue if you've enjoyed this podcast please leave us a five-star review it really helps others find us and remember to follow us on twitter for your chance to win the books that have been mentioned Skip the Queue is brought to you by Rubber Cheese, a digital agency that builds remarkable systems and websites for attractions that helps them increase their visitor numbers. You can find show notes and transcriptions from this episode and more over on our website, rubbercheese.com forward slash podcast.